Are you ready to scale? Why not invest three minutes in our scalability index? It's quick, it's easy, and it's got specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. Welcome to another episode of Genius at Scale. Today's guest is James Chitty from Talon Air. James, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm the CEO of a company called Talon Air based here in New York with uh, multiple locations across the country. Uh, we are a full service management company for private aircraft, privately owned business jets and different type uh, jets and prop planes. Uh, we have a full FAA part 145 repair station. We have a buy sell brokerage. We have a charter retail play, but really we're just a full asset manager, right? A, a, an individual or corporation goes out and buys a, buys an airplane. We'd like to help, you know, kind of buy from the beginning with, with them and participate along the line, along the whole way. But essentially they go buy the airplane and we deal with the day-to-day task of managing the asset, maintaining it, hiring and firing of the pilots, all the regulatory controls, the maintenance, the maintenance uh, items that are due is kind of our full basket. So, uh, so you optimize the use of it as well. Yeah, I mean, many of our owners make their airplanes available for charter when they're not using them, which really optimizes the, uh, the use of them. But even for airplane owners that are strictly using them for personal use, you know, just looking at the schedule, finding the finding the kind of weak spots and the, the time to do, you know, scheduled maintenance tasks and items such as that, any, anything that's going to put the plane down. Most airplane owners don't really think about this, but they lose, they get hurt the most when the airplane's out of service, regardless of, you know, uh, what it's out of service for. The cost to, you know, for the plane to sit on the ground is actually greater than the cost for it to fly, right? Because if it's on the ground, they're not utilizing it. You know, their fixed expenses don't go away. So it's, it's really about keeping the plane in service as much as possible. Got it. Got it. And that's been a business you've been in for a while. Yeah, I got into the business in uh, 2008 with a few different companies. Uh, I, started, uh, I started a brokerage of my own called Plane Clear, which I eventually sold to a company called Apollo Jets which I'm still a partner in. Apollo Jets is, is really our retail arm and Talon Air is really the asset manager. So uh, I took over Talon. We bought it in 2016, or sorry, we started running it in 2016, closed in 17, and I've been running it since uh, since we've been here. Right, so, so one of the uh, reasons I'm super excited to have you on the show is two things. You've done scaling by mergers and acquisitions, which is a... You know, that's the small sliver of the pie. You haven't, you haven't founded something and then grown it from the ground up, um, but you've done it more than once. Can you tell us, I mean, you've, you've had a history of buying and selling businesses or you, you've been in other industries, which is also yeah. fascinating because one of the theories we have about scaling is that it's a leadership activity. It's not, you, tell us a little about your past with other companies because you've been in other products. You haven't, you're not a, you're not an airplane guy, my language. You're you're, sure. you're a CEO, you're a business person, you're an opportunist. Is that you I, I like to say I'm becoming an sure. I, I always I like to say that I'm becoming a bit of an airplane guy, but uh yeah, no, aviation was not my passion. Although I am a big Top Gun fan, was a big Top Gun fan as a kid, but a, a, aviation is definitely not, you know, necessarily or wasn't my passion. Um since I've been in this space now, you know almost, you know, almost 15, 16 years now, it's definitely become a big passion of mine. I've taken flying lessons on some other, you know, pieces and really engulfed myself in the whole space. But 
yeah, I'm a transactional guy. I like transactions. I like deals. I, you know, I, I kid around with my friends and family. I say I'm a bit of a deal junkie. So I always like to look at kind of different opportunities and, and see where there are opportunities to scale and, you know, maybe use some economies to scale to, to put things together and, and, you know, and grow a business and, and make it bigger and better and, you know, hopefully more profitable for the owners and shareholders. So I'm, I'm curious, is there, I mean, you hear the, the classic, I know 70% of mergers fail on their commercial objective. And oftentimes they say it's because the cultures didn't meld, but you're, I take it you're the, of the mind that when you walk in, you want one plus one to equal three or five or, or six. Ten. <laughs> or maybe 10. Yeah. yeah. How do you, is there, a, do you have a, do you have an eye for that? Is it a gut feel? How do you, how do you know is the wrong word, but how do you get a good sense of confidence? Cause you're risking sums of money and uh, there's a lot at stake. How do you, how do you differentiate a good deal from a, from a clunker? I mean, for me, I think it's always about like what value can we bring, right? How do how does us showing up here or taking over this company or merging with this company, what value can we provide, right? So I can bet on myself. And you know, we we know what we're capable of and we know what we've done in the past. So it's a matter of hey, this is where the company is today. You know, we think if we if we can come in and you know move some things around that we can get it to here. You know, what's our value add, right? If you said hey, let's go invest in a chain of. Uh, I don't know, fast food restaurants or something like that. I, I don't know how what kind of value that I may have in that scenario, right? I have to think about that so a little bit. Kind of a fixed formula already. So you, you can Yeah, exactly exactly. You know, capital is right is why I think most people look for partners kind of you know, initially. And I mean, although capital is getting more expensive now, you know, money's cheap. It's it's that's the easiest part, right? everybody's looking to invest some money in something and be a passive investor and get some sort of return. That that's the right. easy part. But like you said before, protecting that you know investment is is really the challenge, right? So, what value add can we have? When I look at a company, I say, great. If we if we took over this operation, you know, where can we scale it? Where can we bring it to the next level? Where can we not necessarily cut? Because I, I think you know, if you're going to buy a business, you're looking at the people that are there, and and you know, they're really the assets, right? The human capital is is the most expensive capital, especially in today's market. So it's not really a cut. It's hey, how can we grow the business? Where can we throw some gas in the fire and really scale this thing and make it and make it bigger and better? And that's a fun game to play. It is. It uh, is. But like like other, you know, we've looked at dozens of transactions that haven't happened. Um, it's just kind of part of the part of the space, right? As you look at these different deals, if, if uh, not everyone's a fit. Right. No, I could imagine, and it, yeah, especially if 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 capital is cheap, it'd be tempting to over buy. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, you hear this, the success stories where people go, oh yeah, we just scaled it and they make it sound easy. You know, and I know I've done it too. It's not that easy. I'm curious, uh, is there a pothole or a, a fuster clock or a, you know, a, a big mistake you've made for which it helped you later on, but in the moment was you paid a, a pretty big tuition. Do you have Give us, because to me, that's more useful for people because they go, oh, crap, I'm thinking of doing that exact same thing. The rags to riches story, most people can't duplicate it. And it's, it's not, it's not so helpful. But do you have a, do you have a big lesson you had to learn and maybe the hard way? I mean, I feel like I'm learning lessons every day, you know, still, especially, you know, the last couple of years between COVID and the, the labor market, the way that it is. 
you know, every day there seems to be a different pothole, right? It's just a matter of how you get out, how do you fix the tire, how do you fix the wheel, how do you fix the rim, and, and you know, try to avoid it the next go around. Um, what I've always liked and, and kind of seen success in when it comes to scaling, you know, start with the pieces that you can really touch and affect and, and help, right? So when I look at like our fleet specifically, let's say, if I go off and get a, a kind of one-off uh, airplane that we don't, you know, we don't currently manage or that we're not set up for, that we don't have some economies of scale in, you know, usually that relationship is harder to, to, you know, to get off the ground or to be successful in, right? Whereas if you come in, we manage 17 Gulfstreams currently. If you have a Gulfstream, it's very easy for, for us, right? We're experts in the, in the field, training, all maintenance, you know, uh, spare parts, all the different kind of pieces that are out there because the fleet is so large. It's a real plug and play type scenario. So when we think about scaling, especially when it's kind of outside of our normal zone, is, hey, we have to look at this of, we know it's going to take X amount of time to get off the ground. We got to be willing to put in the investment, whether that's you know money or, or just a time investment. We got to be willing to make that investment to, to make it work for X amount of time. You can't just you know kind of plug something in and hope that it works, especially when it's a little outside of your wheelhouse. So I think when, when we think about scaling, you know, we think about, hey, what do we do really well? How do we get more of those types of you know, assets first and then build out to the, uh, you know, to the more general public? So do you, do you uh, decline clients if they come with a, an aircraft? Yes. It'd be the only one in your fleet and you say, uh, this is, this is, this is, we're just asking for trouble here. Look, there's exceptions to the, to, to the rule always, right? But um, typically, you know, what's our value add, right? I, I don't want to be in a one-sided relationship because I know a one-sided relationship doesn't last long, right? So so I need to be able to provide some value to whoever that is. And if it's an airplane that we know we're not going to stay best in that market and we know we're not going to really scale it, it doesn't really make sense, right? The truth is, this is a, you know, it's a slim margin business. There's there's a lot of airplanes out there, but they got to be the right fit to make it work for for everyone, right? Right. Airplane owners have had choices, just like all consumers, right? They have a choice in where they go, where they buy, what they're doing. There's plenty of competition across all industries. If you don't have a value add for the customer or, or the, the asset owner, what's what's the point, right? Why right. waste the time? And it's not what it is. So yeah, we, we look at someone, if, if someone has a kind of a one-off airplane, we're not, it's not a definite no, but it's a, hey, what's the value add that we're going to provide that's going to make sense for, for, the, for this person? Right. right. Um, so curious, when you're, when you're looking to scale, do you optimize or maximize or expand what's working really well and play offense, or do you fix up a blind spot or a, a hole, especially if it's a merger? Do you see that, gee, if we just clean that piece up, you get a, a big boost. Do you play do you play offense when you buy, or do you first fix fix gaps? <sighs> A little bit of both, but I, but I think we, we're probably lean towards offense first, right? Because excitement comes with kind of new opportunities and you get this kind of new vested uh, enjoyment in, in the transaction, right? Making making the deal happen. So I think playing offense is important, right? You got to get out in front. You got to, you know, everybody says, and I know it's very cliche, but, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. It's just the truth, right? So right. It's, it's part of it where you have to continue that piece. But at the same time, we're definitely looking to plug some holes and, and, you know, and make systems and, you know, operational opportunities better always, right? That's a, that's a big part of it. So, again, before we get into a business, it's, hey, where can we throw the gas, right? Where can the gasoline go? And then on the back end, it's more of, hey, how do we, how do we stop, you know, the bleeding in some other areas, plug right. some holes here to, to, right. to really grow and maximize the opportunities. 
Okay. So you've done you've done this before in other businesses. So this is not new. Is there I, again, you, you see these textbook hockey stick kind of models where all of a sudden there's a big inflection. Is that an episode? Is that a result of doing things for a stained, sustained amount of time? And then finally it clicks. How does that, you know, is it, is it a theme or a process? How do you get from steady growth or nice growth to exponential or or scaling maybe it's not a recipe but is there a is there a critical vantage point or episode that you have to play for or watch for i think i mean it's kind of a loaded question right because what's scale what, what does that mean right from a market share perspective you know how big can you get right what makes the most sense for the business and for the for the shareholders it's all kind of part of it. So, so you know, I, I like to look at it as kind of like plateaus, right? I, I look at every transaction, every deal, say, hey, this is the one that's going to get us to the next one. And then the next one's going to get us to the next one. And, and what does that kind of look like? And you hope it's that hockey scale, you know, uh, the hockey stick kind of approach that we see so often. But, you know, we're not also naive to kind of market conditions in general, right? Where, where hey, you can catch lightning in a bottle once in a while just because of, of luck, you know. Any so market helps you or... Right. I mean, we, we, we recently looked, you know, we had some conversations with some of our salespeople. Everybody's commissions um, generally are up because trip costs are more expensive because fuel is more expensive, labor is more expensive, right? So if you're making a 10% margin on a trip that used to be $50,000, now that trip is $60,000, you know, sure, you're making another, you know, $600 on that transaction, which sounds like a lot. That's great. But the reality is, is did, the, did the salesperson do anything to to, did they do anything different to get that margin? Right, they didn't upsell you know, at all. They just passed they on didn't the upsell. It's just, it's just, it's just more. So it's a matter of hey, look yourself in the mirror, be honest with it. Just because revenue, just because that hockey stick is pointing up, doesn't mean that you're doing anything to, to make it go up, right? Okay. So, so it, it's, it's you, you got to be, you have to really look yourself in the mirror sometimes and say, hey, what am I doing to grow the business? And and I think that covers all the employees, right? It's not just you know the shareholders or the partners. It's hey, if you if you want to have a long term commitment in a company like ours. You got to do what's best for the entity, what's best for the customer. We, we believe if you're servicing the customer, that, that's the best scenario for the entity because our customers are our biggest, you know, referral sauce. They're our biggest source of, of, of everything, right? Revenue, right. all those opportunities. So, you know, the more people out there saying good things about us and referring their friends and family, the better off we all are as a, as a community, as a group, as a company. No, it makes sense. So when you define or measure scale, gross Gross revenue is not a good, probably not a good measurement. What what do you yeah what do you, what do you I mean I, there's companies that say well we track EBITDA, and I think try to, try explaining that to the you know the the bottom uh, levels of the organization, they don't understand EBITDA at all and they don't care because it's not yeah. very sexy. Yeah. You go it's an accounting term, and companies say oh we're scaling EBITDA and you go okay. Um, but every company does it different. What what do you what do you track? I hope you don't track EBITDA now that I Look, just we, I mean I trash. Uh, we we, do, we we definitely do track EBITDA. <laughs> you track it, but you, that's not that's not your metric for scaling, though. No, look, profitability is important, so I'm not going to limit that. Of course, right? You yeah. got to be profitable. That's why you know it's business. It's not you know. Yeah. It, you need to be profitable for sure. We track a ton of things, right? So we look at things like hours, utilization. I mean. Uh, market airplanes available you know in the marketplace 
but I, I really think that you know markets kind of determine scale, right? So we, we're consistently top ten in the country in charter hours flown and hours flown, you know, based on the fleet. But the reality is, is that great and it's awesome, and you know, we hope to continue and hopefully, you know, continue on that path and get you know closer to the top. But the reality is, is you know, doing a lot of hours doesn't necessarily mean you're doing what's good for your business. So it, it's a matter of finding the right business, the most efficient trips, the profitable trips, the trips that are good for the airplane, that are good for the airplane yeah. owner, that are good for us, kind of fill in the gaps, right? Some of our best clients are, are guys that don't really, you know, that, that fly a lot, right? Personally, they fly a couple hundred hours a year. But every now and again, you know, they, they go somewhere and, you know, they have to pick up a family member in another, another state selling that empty leg and kind of linking those people up, even if that only happens a handful of times, it doesn't get reflected in the trackable things like charter hours, right? Cause it's only a couple of hours. It's not that big of a deal, but you know, now avoiding that plane flying empty and creating that revenue opportunity for that customer, that means more to them than doing a hundred hours or right. 50 hours in a, in a month. So it's hard when you talk about, you know, kind of scale and how, how to measure it. But um, I, I like to look at the market and, and say, Hey, if, if the fleet is continuing to grow in a, in a good you know, and that good kind of upward trajectory with pieces that fit, right? Not just growing for the sake of growth, but airplanes are going to stay and they're going to be, you know, uh, we're going to have a true partnership with those owners for a long period of time. Those are the relationships that we invest in. Those are those are relationships that we, you know, put our time and efforts into to, to make sure that they get off the ground and, and keep working. And is your business um, subject to the the theory that the, the uh, keeping a customer is way more profitable than recruiting a new customer? Like is, is time um, complete helpful for you or is that not a, doesn't, sometimes, doesn't correspond? So, sometimes, I mean, I we look at it kind of everybody's a customer, right? And I, I explained even to our staff here in the office, you know, guys like the pilots or the maintenance technicians, right? Ultimately, if we treat them like a customer from our, let's say, operational dealings, right right? That person's going to stay longer. They're going to be happier. They're going to be a better face for, for the company and, the, and kind of the go forward approach, right? All of our pilots are really, they're, they're the front of the line. They're the ones who are really, really interacting with the customers. They're the ones that are really kind of controlling the experience. So if we treat the, the, the pilot like the customer where, Hey, we know you had a long day. And instead of getting your rental car today, we're going to send a car service just to make your life a little easier as opposed to, you know, transferring over to go find a car and now driving yourself. Right. You know, maybe we know you had a long day. We're going to order a crew meal that'll be waiting for you at the airplane as opposed to, you know, you having to go out and buy lunch on your own. You know, it's not necessarily a mo monetary piece. It's more the thought that, hey, we're thinking about right. it. You know, we, we right. recognize that this is a challenging day. So, you know, with not only customers are we, are we trying to build those relationships, but, but our employees who we, we, you know, internally look at as, as customers, it's important to do that to really, you know, keep the boat going. So truth is we fired, we've fired customers and, you know, it, people come and they go and it's kind of part of the part of the business. But yeah. that's why I say when we go into these relationships, we look at it and say, hey, what's our value add to them? What are we going to do that's going to make them want to stay? Because again, if a plane stays for a short period of time, it's, it's too much work to onboard and offboard an airplane to make it make sense. It's got to stay for a couple of years for it to be really worth it. If, if we don't go into a relationship and we don't think that that can happen, we'll pass. Right. Right. It makes sense. It makes sense. One of the theories we have is that a company cannot scale faster than the CEO's ability to scale their own capability or competence or learning, you might call it. True or false? Uh, I'd say false. I think you got to really surround yourself with the right people. I mean, right CEO for each organization is kind of a different leader in, in, in each different group. I mean, 
look, I, I'm definitely an independent thinker, but I'm also one that will get input from everyone. I like to think about transactions and, and opportunities from all different angles. And I like to listen and learn and, and hear, you know, other people's perspective, especially people that are kind of maybe outside of my role. I think uh, they have interesting perspectives sometimes where they're looking at it from an angle that I don't see, right? It's not part of my day-to-day business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, sure, you, in any company, you need if you want to scale, you need leadership to have that mindset where they want to scale. But I think, you know, it's leadership as a whole, not necessarily, you know, one individual person. Got it. I mean, yeah. Here, here at Talent, we, we do, you know, and I know a lot of companies do this, but, you know, we have a lot of kind of ongoing meetings and, you know, different daily ops meetings and things like that. But we, we do a, what we call a senior leadership meeting um, every Tuesday. And it's really just to hear about what the other department heads have kind of going on in like big project, you know, world, not necessarily the day-to-day task of a specific fight or anything like that. It's more of like, hey, you know, we're seeing X, Y, and Z. We're seeing a shortage of rubber and buying tires now is becoming more of an issue, an issue for us from a maintenance perspective. Or, you know, uh, training slots for, for pilots is really getting clogged up and the facilities and the simulators aren't as available as they used to be. So now coordinating with that with HR of how do we hire? How do we, how do we time this the right way so that we give people the best chance for success in kind of an ongoing, an ongoing process? I think having those those conversations with you know all of your leaders is important to understand. Hey, big picture, what do we got going on here? How can we help each other and make you know the process better? Right. So, how is there a is there an optimal optimal uh, distance out that you plan, and at, at some point becomes irrelevant? Like you guys can't plan ten years out, probably, but there's a point where you say we've got to be super focused on this far out and then we got to at least cooperate i mean people are talking about economic concerns that that weighs on every business but it might weigh on yours more is there a how much of that do you have to play with and what is there a is there an optimal distance that you look out to to make business decisions we're we're typically we're typically in like a 12 to 18 month look forward type scenario right so we're hey we're, we're typically doing next year's budget you know sometime in june july for, for the following year and then kind of measuring year over year what we're looking at um you know there's there's some cycles to our business right with peak days and right. holiday travel and, and things of that nature um obviously things like covid and storms and all sorts of other stuff affect kind of the day-to-day business but we can predict this time of year there's going to be some hurricanes in florida and people are going to look to leave last minute and you know how does that affect our business how does it affect us moving crews to that area you know, how does that affect uh, airlines for, for staff and, 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 you know, things of that nature. So we try to look at all of those pieces, but I think from a growth standpoint, right, you have to kind of plan for the next chapter, right? The next chapter might be for us, let's say the next airplane or the next facility or the next maintenance facility. But, um, you know, for, for any businesses, depending on like the life cycle of your transaction, is really going to dictate how far in advance you got to go for us to onboard an airplane and be really efficient with it. We used to be able to do it in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, the plane would be up and running and staffed and ready to go. But with the labor market, the way that it is and some of the regulatory components and how they've shifted that process, although we're doing it in less than two months, we like to say, Hey, that's a two to six month process. Let's look at what the next two to six months look like. So you can budget correctly. If we, if we do it sooner, awesome. We all win. But if, if it takes a little bit longer, you know, we have a real expectation of what that is. And that's kind of, morphed into our entire business of, hey, I used to be able to send an airplane out for repair and get it up in a couple of days for this type of inspection. That same type of inspection, because all the facilities have you know labor challenges and part shortage and supply chain issues, 
you know, it's not that same time frame anymore. So now we have to go back and readjust and say, you know what, if Wayne's going in for this type of inspection, we used to do it in five, 10 days. Now it's 15, 20 days. What does that look like? How does that, how do we handle the rest of the staff? So it's part of like an ongoing process, but I'd say in general, we're always in a, you know, 12 to 18 month kind of look forward period. Hmm. So uh, I'm curious with the, I mean, everybody's dealing with a tight labor market, but you're, you've got very specific, um, especially with licensing and certifications from a from an airline mechanic to yep. a pilot, how long do you have to pay them and train them before they're actually, I don't know what the right word, usable or functional right. or um, a revenue generation or generator? Yeah, I mean, it varies from you know, person to person, depending on kind of where they are in their career and what the what their schooling looks like, and what their training in the past has looked like. But kind of just in general terms, for a pilot to come here and, and get on the line, right? There's a pretty lengthy training process because although most of us are flying to similar standards, um, you know, ultimately we're an airline, we report to the FAA or regulated by the FAA. And, you know, we have our own approved training programs across all, all boards. So Although even if someone was flying an air, you know, the same airplane that we're operating with another company a week ago, when he comes here, he has to retrain under our guidelines, you know, regardless. So I mean, that process realistically is a four to six week process just for the training aspect. And that's assuming that we can line up the times, right? In today's market, like I said before, those times aren't as easy as they could be. So I might have a guy come in and do in, in dock here, you know, from a company standpoint for two weeks, he might go home for a month and then go, then go to simulator training. So, I mean, we used to like to get guys on the line in, inside of, you know, six to eight weeks. You know, now that time frame is probably more like eight to 16 weeks, depending on the airplane that he's in and, or he or she's in and what, what it looks like and, um, in that marketplace. That sunk cost is on you. It is. It's, it's yeah. a big investment in, in the people. I mean, you know, labor is by far the most challenging aspect of our space right now. Sure. It's not even close. I mean, fuel fuels obviously increase significantly, but that's a tangible, right? You can see it. You can feel it. You know what it is. The labor aspect of it is uh, is challenging. And the truth is there's so many opportunities out there for, for guys between the airlines and all the other companies that are looking to hire. The longer that time frame is before you get them in the door and you get to show them the culture, the more risk you run of, of losing that person and not kind of yeah. getting them over to, to the right side. So it's it's a constant battle that we have internally of how to get people in here faster and you know, get them up to speed. I could imagine. And, yeah, and it's directly related to your your both your top and bottom line. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and the truth is that it ultimately determines the success of, of the of the airplane owner as well. Right. So, so for example, if you take an airplane that we don't already have on our certificate, now I have to go out and get a training, you know, training program approved. All that adds to the process. It's not like because of the regulatory components of our business, I can't just slide another pilot in to, to operate the airplane right. while the one guy's in training. Right. So that's why when I say, hey, economies of scale and kind of looking at, you know, like-minded fleets makes a lot of sense for us because I can fill the gaps a little bit, right? I already have 40, 50 pilots that fly this type of airplane. If I get another airplane, I can use some of those guys in the interim. Again, it won't be 100%, but it's that ramp up process to limit that time that'll, that'll help them all. So right. it's, it's, it's like I said, it's probably where I spend the majority of my day nowadays from a, from a looking at standpoint of, you know, staffing and pilots and maintenance tech specifically. And it's just optimizing your workforce. Optimizing the workforce, growing the workforce, right? Still creating the quality of life for, for the people that you that you have internally to kind of keep and retain them and, and keep them happy. Um, you know, it's 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 a challenge, right? The grass looks greener often. 
Um, but, you know, I, I like to think that here at town, you know, we provide stability. We've been around a long time. You know, we've the proof's in the pudding with us, right? We, we've graduated pilots from smaller airplanes to larger airplanes, management positions, you know, dedicated accounts. The, the proof's in the pudding. But, you know, in, in a market like today, you got to accelerate that that kind of timeline as, as much as you can to keep people content and yeah. happy. Sure. And you're, you're obviously you're on the eastern seaboard being in New York. Is that an advantage or is that? more expensive. So it's a disadvantage for being there. A couple of years ago, we actually moved to the, uh, to the model of home-based pilots. Obviously maintenance technicians have to be at the facility to physically turn a wrench, but, but pilots, you know, essentially as long as they live near a major airport and get, and can get to an airplane, they're essentially flying to wherever the airplane is and, and starting from that point. So, uh, so they can live where they want locally. in cheaper markets. Again, there, there's ex- Different examples, right? If you're to a dedicated account, maybe you need to be closer to an airplane. But in general, the bulk of our of our pilot staffing is home based. Maintenance technicians, on the other hand, is is a lot more challenging because they have to live close to the facility. No, right. they got to commute every day and come in to work. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, huh. it's 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 all fascinating uh, managing all of those metrics and uh, uh, during COVID and labor shortages and supply chains and uh, turbulent gas prices. A lot there. Uh-huh. So yeah. last question, makes it exciting though. Yeah, I bet. It keeps you on your toes. It's a, I imagine yeah. it's a fun and challenging game as well. Um, it's, a, it's our last question we have just for fun and we do it with all our guests. The theory is in seventh or eighth grade, there was a version of James that we, we could have bet on in Vegas and said, I bet he turns out like he could run companies or he could do this, this sort of thing. What clues were there in seventh or eighth grade that would have said, oh yeah, this is how he'll turn out and not necessarily be at Talon, but uh, yeah, he would, he would look like this as a, as a fully uh, matured mammal. Uh, it's great. If I can go back and, you know, think about that a little bit, probably be a little bit of a different answer. I'd probably shift things a little bit, but uh, I've always been competitive. I think probably that's probably the, the trait that you see, you know, the most, right. Where, I think if you're competitive, you want to win. It makes you put forth the effort to kind of take the next step and and continue to build and scale and and win, right? Like you have to put in the the work to uh, to win. And I think even back then, I was willing to make the effort for things that I wanted to do. Um, you know, competition is definitely something that we look for in all of our staff and and people, right? People that want to compete just to compete, right? Just just to win and feel good about things, right? We all. I golf, I play a little tennis, things like that today. And I want to win. It's just, it's just part of the deal. And I think none of that has ever really wavered from when I was young to, to where we are today. And I hope that that continues, you know, forever. I think yeah. that it will. Uh, it's, it's great. It's great as a, as a, um, a foreshadow of success. Com- a, a competitor certainly is a shot. That's for sure. So. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. I've been, I, a buddy of mine's in the staffing business and uh, he's launching kind of a new concept and it's geared specifically towards student athletes and getting their programming out there and kind of a different approach to hiring those people. And, you know, he's done really vast market research on this, but, you know, all the fortune 500 companies are looking for athletes because they want somebody that can compete and wants, and wants to win. So it's just, so it's a really solid trait for all entrepreneurs and, you know, eventual leaders and business owners for sure i'm a big fan of the model because if you're a serious athlete you have to do work on your own unsupervised and you have to love the work and if you don't it's a it's a big difference between a professional athlete and a 
and a, a naturally gifted athlete that doesn't want to put the work on. Yeah. Yep. They, they want to win so badly. They'll do, they'll do all the extra work. Yep. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Well, well James, you do it all as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for your insights, your stories, your, uh, um, the lessons we we learned. It's this, we can't have guests on here that aren't doing entrepreneurism. Uh, it just wouldn't make any sense. So I really appreciate your wisdom and, and insight today. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate the time. Looking forward to, uh, to seeing the results here. Thanks for joining us today. Are you ready to scale? If so, invest three minutes in our scalability index. It's simple, easy, and gives specific guidance. Find it at evokinggenius.com slash scale. All the best.